HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that's him. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. And I'm Greg Benson. Greg, what's happening in the world today? Uh, well, I feel, Damon, as responsible semi-journalist adjacent degenerates, we can't open the show without discussing what's going on with the Degroni Spagliato, where it came from, and why everybody is suddenly losing their shit over this drink that no one could spell this time a week ago. <laughs> like, is this happening for you out in California as well? It is. Uh, you know, it kind of reminds me in, you know, now looking back over, you know, like 10 years of Negroni week, say maybe 15 years of the Negroni be becoming a popular kind of household name. I mean, like, you know, you go to Trader Joe's and there's a bottled tr- Trader Joe's branded bottled Negroni. I, I've spoken they, about they, this several times. They have it on Delta now. On Delta flights, they have a canned yeah. Negroni. It's yeah. fine. But the fact that you can get it in an airplane is, you know, sign of the times. Well, you know, the thing that gets me about the, the Spagliato is that, it, yeah, it's like just like the Negroni. It's been around forever, you know, for a, a long time, at least. And, you know, so the, the name Spagliato means mistake, right? In Italian. <laughs> and and it is a mistake because the, the, the origin of that drink is that apparently a bartender went to grab a bottle of gin, accidentally grabbed a bottle of Prosecco. As one does. Or, or it was an Americano cocktail. Because, like, really what it is, it's an Americano cocktail, but... If you think, you know, if you think about it, uh, it's Americano without seltzer. Instead of seltzer, it's Prosecco. So it's it's a Negroni Spagliato, but really what it is is an Americano Spagliato, if you want to get technical about it. But <laughs> really, I mean, it's just funny. There's a, tons of memes out there about it, you know, like about like <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, like liquor stores are out of both Campari and Prosecco. Um, I think it's I think it's big Negroni, uh, you know, pulling one over on us just to, you know. I think they're <laughs> okay. So I do. I do actually know where this came from, and not because I'm cool, because I asked someone younger than me who knows. And unfortunately, I, I don't. I don't know if you're aware of this, Damon, but I hate to break it to you if you're not. This is a dragon thing. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, um, one of the stars of House of the Dragon, which uh, I I have not yet broken down and watched. The day is coming, but I've not reached that point of weakness yet. Thank God. Um, <laughs> but they were doing some bit where two of the stars were talking about their favorite cocktails. And one of them said that they really like a Negroni Spagliata with Prosecco. But they did say it. I've watched the video. They did say it in like a very fun, very sexy way that really just kind of like, you know, they they – made that awkward looking word spalliata really roll off their tongue and i'm like okay i can you know they they they, they, it made me a little thirsty watching it like i could go and have some (laughs) of this but man the the internet did what the internet does and now all of a sudden it's like fucking everywhere and i'm for it you know i love the negroni spalliata i think it's a great drink i and you know, do this responsibly because it, you'll see why in a second. But like one of my preferred like go-to summer drinks is a Negroni Spalliata with just like a little float of absinthe on top because mm. it looshes like just a little bit. So in addition to getting those really nice kind of like green, like, uh, like hayseed and kind of like anise notes from the, uh, from the, the absinthe, you also get this really nice kind of pink cloudy layer on top that just looks really fucking cool. So That's I'm cool. for it. I'm happy yeah. it's around. I'm glad it's not like a. I, although I did read on Punch recently uh, that the Mind Eraser is coming back, but you know I'd rather it be like <laughs> I'd rather it be you know the Spagliato having this moment than uh, you know the Mind Eraser. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean everything you know, like we've we've said on the show before, like everything that's old is new again. There's no such thing as a new idea, but it is it is yeah, it's nice when you know something that you've always enjoyed like it has sort of a, a moment of sh- obscurity that's why every year i get really excited when people predict that this is going to be the summer of sherry and every year for the last 10 years i've been disappointed <laughs> right but, right but it's but it's you know it's fun it's a great drink and um i think i think john deberry summed it up best with a tweet where he said um as a bartender i hate it when people come up to me and order drinks and I'm like, yeah, I've seen a lot of hot takes of people complaining about how many Degrani Spagliatos <laughs> they have to make. And I'm like, just, you know, it could be mind erasers, guys. Just keep that in perspective. Well, also, if you're a bartender and you can't build a drink over ice. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I, yeah, I, seriously. Like, you, count your blessings. The Ramos could be having a moment in the sun right now. Oh like, how God. horrible would that be? This drink takes like 20 seconds to make. Like, you know, be take the W, everybody. I mean, seriously, I think. I, I will say this. I usually keep my Campari and my vermouth batch together uh, just as a, just as like a life hack. Uh, you know, I'll have a bottle. Uh, you know, it's a Torino Milano or Milano Torino, depending on where you are. That's what it is at the base, which is a delicious <laughs> drink. It's basically yeah. the very first Italian mixed drink. Um, and then, you know, from there, uh, they added seltzer water. That's an Americano. Then Count Negroni said, screw seltzer water. Let's put gin in there instead. That became a Negroni. So the Negroni is actually a third variation on that original drink. It's a great drink on its own. But the thing is, it's endlessly riffable, right? So, like, you can make a Negroni with any base spirit. So you can make a Boulevardier or Mezcal Negroni, you know, things like that. So, you know, I would say that, you know... And one of my favorite bars around here, uh, they actually always have those two ingredients batched, so they get all, you know, they get a lot of calls for their Negronis. So someone will say, "Hey, can I have you know rye whiskey? Make it a Boulevardier, or can I have mezcal or a rum Negroni, which is delicious?" Um, mm-hmm. And it's if you if if you care anything about speed in a bar, like if you're but you're against batching, I mean that's at least the one thing that you should batch. You know, yes. And then you just pour that and top it with Prosecco and then like 
take someone's money. You know, that's it. Like, bam, yeah, easy. Yeah, even even throw a little absinthe on top if you're a louche bag like me. You know. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, so I'm really excited about this show today because it's something that I've for so long have like you know just labored over and kind of like I've always tried to find like special pieces of glassware for you know I've done like most of my own photo shoot styling and you know in I always I'm always looking for unique glassware and what's cool about that is or for my almost 20 years being in this industry is that the industry started catching up and realizing that there's a huge market for special glassware so I'm really glad that we're going to be discussing that today um which is fun because we actually have Zane Harris in the studio today, and he's coming to us from from the Roswell of, of <laughs> New York. <laughs> um, so this is going to be really fun. Uh, so Zane, welcome to the show. You're in uh, where did we say we are? You're in Pine Bush, New York, right? Yeah, yeah. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, just recently moved out to uh, the country of you know, Catskills meets Hudson Valley area. I just couldn't, um, you know, being in the city for almost 13 years in New York. Uh, it was time, I think, for me to slow down a bit. Also, I'm getting older, like most of us are. So, um, yeah, definitely coming from the country right now. I'm watching the leaves fall. It's awesome. beautiful right now. Well, cool, man. I, 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 there's a lot to talk about today. Um, we'll talk about UFOs and uh, in the alien culture, if we get some time, but I think we should jump into it. <laughs> so your handle is the beverage consultant and product designer for Riedel. Um, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> so you get to, uh, you get, you're, you're the glassware guy. Yeah. I mean, someone had to do it. I got sick of waiting, yeah. you know, it, it's, like you said, years of running bars and owning bars and having to take trips out to estate sales right. and antique stores to try to find non-dishwashable, right. safe, <laughs> very delicate glassware just to fit the cocktails that we find to be um, really popular now, like Negroni's, for example, because, you know, a lot of the glassware nowadays um is something that got designed probably in in China, and they're much too big and clunky, um, and so we had to resort to these antique pieces, you know, to match the cocktails that have become yeah. so popular. And it just doesn't really exist any sort of meaningful or uh, affordable or practical uh, sense until this glassware. Yeah. I mean, along. like for the longest time, it was the uh, the Libby thirty seven seventy three. The five and a half ounce coupe yeah. glass, you know, that was mm -hmm. like the only coupe glass you could get forever, unless you went to like, like yeah. you said, like go upstate New York, and like that's where I used to go to buy all my cool antique glassware. Like the, uh, the, I mean, there's endless antique stores up there, but you know, like it's it's not sustainable, obviously, because you know, I I would buy like old like Waterford Crystal coupes, and you know, whenever I'd find them, and I would pay a fortune for them, and you know. Use them for like VIPs and photo shoots mostly, but you know, even just having them around, they're gonna get broken. You know, it, so like it's and it's always just so heartbreaking. Um, but it's cool that like things are like we're in a far better place now with uh, glassware design. So how did you how did you actually get connected with them to get in this role? 
so that's a really interesting story and kind of been romanticized over um, over the years now. Uh, so, you know, alongside doing the glassware design and the beverage consulting, I'm also a, a beverage consultant for Southern Glazers. Okay. Uh, so I help them with their craft department, um, pretty much we're in-house beverage consultants. So you, you work with Alan Katz? And, uh, we're constantly, yeah, Alan Katz is on cool. the same team as I am. Uh, we've worked together for years. Uh, love Alan. Mm-hmm. Great guy. Uh, if you guys haven't checked out, people are listening, New York Distilling Co. I highly recommend you check out all their products from their gins to their rye whiskeys and all the stuff they have coming in the future. Love that guy. Can't support him enough. And it's amazing juice. So anyway. Um, what we do is we pretty much help restaurants and bars and hotels um, uh, build out programs, full programs, um, even construction of the bars themselves. Uh, we oversee and help with this, help them save money. Then, of course, help them with the profitability side. And then mixology is pretty much the last thing. But throughout that, you know, you're constantly uh, picking out your spirits. You're picking out your bar tools, everything you have pretty much control over. You know who makes it right. We know who makes our booze. I have no idea who makes glassware. I, I, you know, so you have to piece it together. Like who the heck make, and I hope it's not some human rights violation and <laughs> somewhere in China, you know what I mean? Some kids making our glassware so we can drink our spagliatos. Um, but um, yeah, so I just constantly felt my, this one gap in, in what I do on a day-to-day basis was I have no control over the glassware really. Um, so for years I heard, you know, our, um, our comrades uh, complain uh, about glassware, wishing for certain things. And I, I had been taking notes for, for almost two decades on uh, everything that I would do. If I ever got a chance to be in the room with a glassware maker, who the heck knows what a glassware maker is or who they are, right? They're always usually some faceless company that makes our glassware like Libby, right? I have no idea who's behind Libby. Um, but uh, yeah, by rote, Southern also distributes Riedel, mostly wine glasses, and so I was placing a lot of Riedel by default. Um, and uh, George and Max Riedel, the 10th and 11th generation glassware makers from that company, caught notice that there's this unknown person in New York placing large amounts of their glassware <laughs> and their decanters and everything. Uh, and they'd never heard of me before. So they invited me to go to this three-day-long seminar um, uh, with them, which was, you know, I felt was a pretty big honor, but here was my chance, right? I was about to be in the room with glassware makers. And maybe if I pitched them aside, if I pulled them aside and I pitched them this idea, maybe I could change the industry and make my job a little bit easier, um, was the idea. So in like the second day, I was really listening to what George, um, the 10th generation, the, the older gentleman, um, had to say, uh, about wine glasses and why they chose the shapes. I don't know if you know about Riedel glassware, but they have wine-specific glassware, uh, which means that they have shapes that make a Pinot Noir taste better than out of a different another shape. And I always thought it was bullshit, right? I always thought it was some marketing ploy. Um, but they did whole tastings side-by-side uh, side with different glassware shapes uh, with the exact same wine out of the exact same bottle, and it made a drastic difference not only in the nose but also in where it delivered it to the tongue right the tip of the tongue versus the the middle of the tongue i remember him saying uh for higher higher alcohol content wines like amarones for example um they wanted to make sure that that higher proof wine didn't hit the tip of your tongue because the tip of your tongue is like the tip of your finger. It's very sensitive uh to tactile uh things but it's also very sensitive to alcohol content 
So if it hits the tip of your tongue, it tastes more alcoholic than it actually is. But if it hits your mid palate on the back, it's much more smoother of an experience, which I thought was interesting because I'd never thought about that when it came to cocktails before. So I was taking all these notes and I had pulled up a little 3D program, a little CAD program on my laptop. And I started designing glassware based off of what he was saying in front of me. And this is where it starts to get um, uh, kind of lore-y and people have different versions as a story, but this is exactly what happened. Uh, I remember he had said something about carbonation and you know, I can speak freely in this room. I'm a nerd when it comes to things <laughs> like that. Um, and he had said that a shape of a glass affects um, uh, how big the bubbles are. Uh, and I, you know, I raised my hand and I had said, I said, no, actually what really affects it is um, the surface of the inside of the glass. You're looking for nucleation sites where the CO2 can gather together and be released. And if you have very small abrasions on the inside of the glass, which happens normally, then you get smaller bubbles. If you have bigger abrasions, you get bigger bubbles. Um, that's the way it goes. <clears throat> and uh, he kind of looked at me sideways. Everybody else in that room worked for Riedel. There's about 80 people in the room. And just like any of these companies, I think that they, you know, they very much look up to the Riedels because they're a family owned business and they're not used to somebody raising their hands and correcting George Riedel <laughs> uh, on something. Um, and he took it really well. Right. And we had a little bit of an a back and forth. I wouldn't call it an argument, but it was a bit of a back and forth. And I said, hey, listen, you know, it's it's science. You should try it. I'm sure you have a little sandblaster uh, etched the inside of your glass and see what happens. Um uh, and he really liked the idea that I was talking science, not talking like opinion, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, then it went on and I kept on listening to what he's saying. I kept on designing and he realized I wasn't, he didn't think I was paying attention. So he walked over to the table and he slammed his hand really hard down on the table. And he said, if you're not going to pay attention, get out of my room. Right. And so I was like in this very thick Austrian German accent. And I just turned my laptop to him and there was a, what, you know, what now became the rocks glass uh, rotating on screen, a 3D version of it. And I said, hey, we should talk at lunch is what I said to him. That's all I said to him. And he looked at me and he took about three seconds and he goes, I'll see you at lunch. <laughs> now, everybody else Sorkin in that room was like, like <laughs> <laughs> they're like, uh, everybody else in the room was like, holy shit, they're going to get a fist fight out in the parking lot at lunch. And so we disappeared at lunch. I pitched him the idea um, of, you know, why this is necessary, right? The bar world changed, but the glassware didn't. And we're constantly having to fill these gaps with doing what we already talked about, right? Searching for vintage glassware that isn't being produced anymore, that is definitely not dishwasher safe um, and is usually way too expensive. And I said, if he wants to make a big difference in the bar world, and if he also wants to make uh, a shit ton of money, uh, be the first glassware company that actually listens to the bar industry on what it is that they need because nobody else is doing mm -hmm. it. Right. Uh, and um, I got halfway through my pitch and he put his hand on my shoulder. And in my head, I was thinking, OK, well, at least I I tried. Right. I, I can go back to all of my friends in the industry and say, hey, I got in front of a glassware maker. Uh, they weren't interested, though. So, you know, I did my best. But instead, he said, I love it. Put it into a, a professional presentation. Do you think we can get a functional prototype within a year? And I was just so taken aback. I was like, I can get you the entire line in a year with 3D printing and whatnot. Why not? Let's do it. Um, and uh, it actually took a year and a half because I decided that we would take the prototypes all around the world to all the different bars that I really respect, give them the prototypes for a night, 
see what they thought about it, then take all of their notes and funnel it through myself. Um, and what came out the other end is this glassware line called DSG or drink specific glassware from Riedel. Uh, so I like to say, you know, it has my name on the box, but it's really our industry's glassware because so many people had feedback from all different walks of life in our bar world. Um, and even home bartenders, which, you know, I, I think I, I personally really appreciate. It's not just coming through my brain, but through a lot of other people who are a lot smarter than I am. Damn, dude. So I, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm glad that these things exist. I had no idea that the path to them existing was so incredibly riveting. Like I was like, I was sitting over here. I was like, man, I wish I had some popcorn to eat while I was just like listening to this story. <laughs> so now, now, I mean, I, I, I want to know, I want to hear about these notes. I want to hear about, you know, what, what makes these things different? What did you look at? You know, when you look at, you know, your usual five and a half ounce coupe or your usual double rocks glass. And you're like, I find this wanting. And what did you do to fix it? There's a, that's a, that is a kind of a big question. Cause one of the things I wanted to make sure that we did was not be the MySpace to someone else's Facebook. Mm. So I didn't want to open up the door to having our industry have say in the glassware and not think every detail through to the max. Like I, I, my, my goal, honestly, and this is maybe the capitalist in me, was to make sure that this was such a good design and so thoughtful that anybody else or any other company that wanted to do this um, without me being involved would think it would be an insurmountable task, like they couldn't improve on it. So the first thing that we had to look at was uh, the actual volume of the glassware. Because, you know, uh, a martini is three ounces, right? Plus maybe three quarters of an ounce to an ounce of dilution uh, from the ice. Uh, that, that, you know, you're looking at, like you said, five and a half ounces, but that's not enough clearance. So it goes right to the, um, the wash line goes right mm -hmm. to the edge. We all know this with those Libby coops. And it sucks to drink out of. You feel like an idiot, you know, just like you feel like an idiot drinking out of a champagne flute. It's, it's not conducive to the, the end user whatsoever. And it's definitely not conducive to our servers having to put these things on trays and try to take them out and look professional, right? Hell, even pushing them across the bar made us look like sloppy bartenders because they splashed everywhere. Uh, so instead, I went with a with a just a little over a six ounce for our Nick and Nora, which we can get talking about Nick and Nora's uh, pretty in depth in a little bit. But I want to answer your question first. Um, just take a note because the Nick and Nora is a is a is a very uh, tender spot in my heart. Um, anyway, so uh, the volume was important, and when I came back to him with the volumes of all the different glasses, which there are seven of them now, uh, they said, "Oh, these are very odd. You know, these these these." Um, these volumes don't really exist. And I was like, yeah, I know. That's kind of the point. And that's kind of the problem that we're fixing here. And they're like, oh, they, they were just, okay, I, I get it now. Uh, because it was all based off of not only the, the cocktails are going to be going in them, right? Each glass is designed for a specific category of drink. Right. You have your Manhattan martinis for the Nick and Nora. You've got your sours, uh, traditional and non-traditional in the sour glass. Right. Those are two different volumes that you need because you got to think about juice and egg white or aquafaba or whatever it is you're going to be using in it. Then you got your highball glass, which, you know, you're talking about highballs. You're also talking about things that underneath there like Tom Collins's and anything served as a one in one as well. Uh, then the fizz glass, right, which doesn't really exist in the market. 
We always have to use some weird juice glass that usually diners use for orange juice in our bars to get the right size, which is stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, then, of course, we've got the rocks glass. Always a double rocks, never a single rocks. So old fashions look tiny in them. Um, and then a neat glass, which was very, very important to me because I hate serving neat spirits out of a rocks glass because my guests feel like they're getting ripped off. It just looks like you didn't pour anything in the glass if you're hitting two ounces, right? Um, so the neat glass is really important for Sazeracs too. And, you know, a lot of people, they don't like drinking their martinis or Manhattans or Boulevardiers out of a... Uh, out of a stemmed glass. I don't know why. Sometimes they feel like their sexuality is wrapped up in the <laughs> glassware that they drink out of for some reason. I don't get it. Um, or sometimes they just feel like they're clumsy. Either way, I wanted to make sure that that neat glass was there for people who wanted their up drinks served down, as it were. Um, but yeah, so this offered us the opportunity to get the, the volumes right. So everything has that two centimeter wash line from the top. Two centimeters I found uh, is enough leeway to make it so you can cheer someone without splashing each other's knuckles. Uh, you can take it out to a table, no problem on a tray, um, or you can slide it across the bar. Also nose clearance is important. So then my next thing was displacement of ice, right? So I had to make sure that any sort of ice that was going in these glasses was displacing these these uh, these liquids, these cocktails properly uh, without sticking out of the glass. I had to make sure that, you know, my glass was tall enough that a, a, that cold draft or Hoshizaki ice cubes for um, you ice nerds out there <laughs> uh, didn't hit your nose when you're drinking out of it. Um, especially in the highball glass, we're seeing a, a decline in straws being used. In, in bar programs. So I want to make sure this glassware is designed to be able to be comfortably drank without uh, a straw. Um, then, of course, the next thing I had to worry about um, was uh, the ice itself. Does it fit? I, I'm sure you've all you know dealt with this with a rocks glass, but you take a really nice hand cut two by two ice cube and you try to put it into a regular rocks glass, and there's about three quarters of an inch of a gap underneath the ice cube in the glass because the inside of the glass is actually cantilevered right. in. You know, it's not straight-sided. The reason why glassware companies do that is it's a lot cheaper and easier to make glassware that way because the molds are easily pulled out of the center of the glass. Um, and so what you see is this conical shape on the inside. Even if the outside is straight, the inside will be conical because it's just easier for them to, in, during production. But that makes it so we have to knock the edges off of our nice, beautiful cubes to get it to fit in there. So we're handling ice with our hands or tongs, heaven forbid, um, you know, smashing ice all over the guests uh, or at your home bar. Uh, and I thought that was stupid. It was slowing down my bartenders. It was slowing down me. So the inside of the glass had to accommodate um, larger ice cubes. It also has to accommodate regular ice, like the like cold draft ice in Hojizaki. A lot of times with that conical shape, you get an inverted right. pyramid of ice, which is that one mm -hmm. ice cube on the bottom and the two or three on the top. Yeah, oh, you yeah. know what I'm I talking about. <laughs> and you have to like, hit it. With, I know. We all hate it. Uh, so I designed the glass to hold uh, ice cubes naturally, side by side in the bottom of, of the rock glasses. God bless glasses. you, sir. Uh, so you don't have to poke it with uh, Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, that's important for a couple of different reasons uh, um, because, you know, you want the displacement to happen. You want the level of the, the finished cocktail to be at the right 
at the right level, right? If if the ice cube isn't hasn't fully fallen into the cocktail, it's not displacing it and not raising that level up enough. And the drink looks either sloppy, unfinished, or that you're ripping off the guest. Um, so that was really important, you know. Uh, but then I also had to worry about uh, the dishwashers that this glassware was going to be going into. Uh, how many can I fit in a flat rack, right? Um, so I really messed with the diameters a lot to try to fit an extra row in a standard flat rack. So the bartenders didn't have to run as many loads that translates into dollars and cents for the business owner, right? If I'm going to be a beverage consultant, I have to think about how much it costs to operate your dishwasher and how can I reduce that as much as possible. We also had to think about tempering, right? So dishwashers, especially commercial ones are super hot. And then we usually, when we're busy, we're taking super hot glasses and we're throwing crushed ice in it to cool it down because we're low on glassware because we're busy on a Friday or Saturday. That causes micro fractures if you don't temper the glass all the way. Most glasses are only tempered the top third of the glass to try to protect the lip. Well, untempered glass meeting tempered glass, they, they cool down at different rates. And so it causes micro fractures. You guys ever see that L-shaped oh, yeah. break you get oh, in glasses? Yeah. yeah. So that line that shoots across uh, uh, horizontally, that's where the temper line of that huh. glass is. And that glass isn't breaking from being hit on the lip of the glass. It's being broken because over time, the hot, cold, hot, cold creates micro fractures at that uh, at that um, that border where non-tempered meets tempered. And so you get this crack that shoots straight up and one that shoots right across where the temper. See, I told you it wasn't my fault. Every bar <laughs> manager I've ever worked for, it wasn't me. Yeah. No stupid glassware. Oh my God. Yeah. And so what we did was a triple temper on this glasses. We made sure that the entire glass was tempered uh, three times in decreasing temperatures. So there's no leftover energy in it. If you ever want to see what I'm talking about, about leftover energy, look up um, uh, St. Rupert's Drops um, on YouTube. It's a really crazy phenomenon that happens with molten glass, or in this case, crystal, uh, if you don't temper it correctly. Uh, it's insane. Um, I'm, I'm going to leave that be a little nu nugget. St. Rupert's drop. Uh, but that's what I was trying to eliminate in this glass or with that tempering. And while we're on the subject of, of breakage, which is to most glassware companies is a bad word, but for us, um, you know, it's something uh, of a challenge. Um, when you're dealing with a company like Riedel that's been around for like 200, almost 270 years, and they're on their 11th generation, they don't really care about um, short-term sales. They care about long-term partnerships with, with um, you know, restaurant groups and hotel groups and stuff. Uh, so to them, they try to make the highest quality glass. And if they can reduce breakage as much as possible, that's a very good thing for them because then that means that that company will use their glassware for a long period of time. Uh, so I took that and I ran with it. Uh, most of the breakage in my bars, and I'm sure in yours as well, was when you take hot or cold glasses and nest them or stack them inside of mm -hmm. another glass. Oh, yeah. And they stick together. That's bad, bad move. You I hate, hate it when I see that. Ugh. It's the worst. Not horrible. <laughs> and then you try to like, you're looking at your guest as you're tapping it on its side. And of course, inevitably one or two of them yeah. breaks, right? Um, I did a bit of a survey um, in one of my bars and I found out that over 60%, it was 61.8% of my breakage over the course of um, 
three months was due to nested glassware, not to clumsy bartenders or drunk, uh, you know, barbacks, you know, or, <laughs> you know, asshole guests pushing it off the table. It was the vast majority of it was nested glassware. So if I wanted my glass to not be heavy as shit and not um, be nested inside of each other, but I wanted them still to be stackable, it gave me the opportunity. Um, you guys have seen this glassware, I'm assuming? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's got like that starburst pattern on the yes, on the it's bottom. It's very right? classy. Uh, that's there for function as well as form. It makes it so when you stack the glasses butt to butt, they lock into each other. Huh. Uh, and so you you have the stackability without it sliding around on 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 itself, um, but not in the traditional sense of nesting it inside where all the breakage happens. And that happens, you know. It's, universal across the line so you can stack like with like or you can stack them differently like have rocks glasses on the bottom and neat glasses on top and they still lock this is what happens when someone Um, who's actually been behind the bar for a while who's experienced all this gets the opportunity to actually be on the design (laughs) team so like you know this is why i always say like you know when it comes to distributors and sales like Hire bartenders. They 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 know how to sell people booze. You know when it comes to that. But also, I mean, this also kind of reminds me of like the '86 company when they were designing their bottle. It's like there was a, a you know a, a basically a, a group of bartenders who got together and uh, they had like a little powwow and like they they kind of voiced all their woes with like bottles and and the shapes and the, the you know, the different like elements that would be helpful, you know, with like the label that peels off and uh, uh, graduated measurement on the side for inventory and like different grips and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, well, it's the best bottle design because, you know, the people who use the bottles all the time got got a say in it. Right. And this Mm -hmm. is what it's the the exact same thing with classroom. So this I mean, to me, this is just fascinating. I'm like, like full on like on my bed with my my chin in my hands and my legs kicking up like total like 80s movie <laughs> style like got the long cord on my phone and i'm just like you know just twirling, twirling your finger, like fingers. tell yeah. me more yeah exactly <laughs> it's it's, for, it's like we're it's a nice visual it's like, almost like we're talking dirty you know <laughs> but yeah this is yeah i mean when you hear stuff like this you kind of think why don't companies I don't know. Why don't they listen to us more? That's all. I I think it's ridiculous I, I, um, how like I had to, you know, pull someone aside and be like, hey, I work with your products. Do you think maybe you want to ask me some questions? You yeah. Know? How to make it better? How to make more money? Right? How do you make more money? Make and, a better you know, product. Brand loyalty, as you but, said before, those long term relationships rather than short term sales. Um, we're, we're at yeah. a point now where we should take a break. Uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll get back. I want to, I want to ask you, uh, kind of almost like a speed round of, uh, this glass versus that glass <laughs> and, and see your thoughts on that. But, uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll get back. We'll continue talking about glassware with our buddies and yours back in a few. Greg, it's that time of year again. It is. It is. I can't believe it's here again. I know it's it. The year's really just flown by, but it is time for the 2023 season of the U.S. Bartenders Guild and Diageo's World Class Cocktail Competition. This is the biggest cocktail competition in the world, um, and the cool thing is this year, actually, the 
or sorry, it'll be next year, but uh, the finals will be happening <laughs> in Sao Paulo, Brazil. In Brazil! Like, I want to I wanna get involved in this just so I can go to Brazil. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, this is, it's the biggest practical competition in the world. Uh, lots of crazy events uh, and different rounds. It's insane. You can go to DiageoBarAcademy.com and see about last year's uh, world class. They actually wrapped it in Sydney, Australia, another place I would love to go to. Um, and yeah, I mean, have you have you uh, been to any of these competitions before, Greg? Yeah, actually, I was I was super fortunate. I got to go to the uh, the U.S. finals this past June in Nashville, nice. and um, you can tell it was a good time because I used the word fortunate to describe Nashville in June. But it was a ton of fun. <laughs> you know, I got to see a lot of really amazing cocktails. Some of which were based on Nashville hot chicken. Some of which were based on banana pudding. It was it was it, it, it was a blast, and just hang out with people who were just at the top of their game but also just having a shitload of fun and hanging out with everybody else like right. that was that was super cool to watch and be around and uh you know it's just just sample for research for work yeah for sure just it's work <laughs> yeah well there's so there's so much fun and kind of like just you know like the different competitions of different satellite cities but like there's also a lot of these recipes or they're documented on DiageoBarAcademy.com. If you go to DiageoBarAcademy.com, you can actually find a lot of other stuff besides world class. There's like master classes and e-learning. There's even stuff you can learn how, like doing uh, your liquor costs and your cocktail costing is like a huge thing. There's a calculator on there for that. Just tons of cool stuff. So if you go check it out, it's D-I-A-G-E-O-BarAcademy.com. That's DiageoBarAcademy.com. Go check it out. And we are back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And in the studio today, we have Zane Harris from Riedel. And, you know, okay, this has been, I don't know, Greg, I'm having a great time on this show because... Oh, dude, yeah, this is a ton of fun. It's the thing that I have nerded out probably, like, I probably, you know, like back in the, the 19th century when we started using, like, citrus juice in uh, cocktails and that was really fancy and it would the juice actually cost more than the booze in the cocktail uh, those those were the days man yeah those were the days this is like I, i'm more excited about the glassware than the actual cocktail in that kind of <laughs> same regard you know um but yeah so we've been talking about uh how zane got into this which is really fascinating but then we're talking about all the the innovative moves that you've made with this glassware which is awesome wildly fascinating i want to talk to you about there's a big question uh you know like i know right now there's this slight resurgence in like the the classic V-shaped martini glass. It's also the bane of people's existence because, as you mentioned before, for servers and bartenders to move the drink around, it usually you know it, it'll slop out the side. You know, and I I, I work in brandy a lot and like treat spirits and like I I just I want to get your take on the brandy snifter versus like like a, a Glen Cairn or a, a neat glass like. What's your take on some of these? I want to kind of go through a round of different glasswares. What's what's your take on, say, uh, a snifter? Snifters and Glencairn glasses are <laughs> thank you. Okay. Uh, they 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 literally do the opposite of what you want a glass to do when you're dealing with a straight spirit like brandy. Uh, you know, you know this, everybody knows this, like open up a bottle of booze and stick your nose right in the top of it and see if you can smell what it is. No, all you can smell is ethanol. All you can smell is the alcohol fumes coming off of it. Right. That's because this larger vessel, like a, think of it like a brandy snifter or, you know, the Glen Karen glass, it's bigger on the bottom than it is at the top. So all of those fumes get funneled up 
right? They don't get dispersed outwards. They go f straight up into your nostrils and that burns your nostrils. You're not smelling the booze. You're smelling the alcohol. Um, it's like compression like and, say, and reflux, right? Yeah, exactly. And so what you want is something that actually flares out. Um, there's a couple of glasses there. Like um, Riedel worked with um, cognac and scotch producers to, and they asked them, same thing they did with me, right? What is the best shaped glass? Like, let's come up with the best shape that actually works. And what they came up with is this two, almost this tulip shape. So it's straight sided and it flares out. Um, that by far is the best glass that I've found other than something like a neat glass, right? That is straight um, sided, that doesn't funnel everything inwards uh, to do any sort of straight spirit or high proof alcohol. Um, that's what I suggest for sure. You actually smell the product, not just the alcohol. Thank you for backing up what I've been saying for a very long time. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I hate the Glen Karen. I do, I I do too. It. I do. Um, but that was like, oh, but it doesn't break when you drop it. Well, don't okay. drop it. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. Don't drop it. There's but, a quick fix to that problem. I forgot to tell you. It seems like a stupid reason to pick a yeah. glass. Anyway. But okay, so next one martini glass versus coupe versus Nick and Nora. Martini glasses are coming right. back in fashion, I guess. Uh, but to me, it's all about the angle, right? So um, I've designed a martini glass that I like, uh, that I hope to be able to produce soon, uh, that has a much steeper angle as opposed to being flatter, right? A lot of the martini glasses on the market right now are, um, it's almost like drinking out of your cupped hands. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just wildly uh, um, impractical. Looks cool. I mean, it is the... The martini glass, the V martini glass is a vibe for right. sure. Um, but it also does the opposite of what a glass like that should do. Um, so Nick and Nora versus coupe. Now, the only reason a champagne coupe is uh, in our bars as a cocktail glass is because of the, um, the utter lack of the Nick and Nora being in production until now. Uh, so it's been like a, a compromise. Like what's the shape that kind of curves inward uh, that I that I can have out there. Oh, a champagne coupe. But if you look at a Nicanora, a real Nicanora versus a um, a champagne coupe, which we're using in bars mostly now, uh, is it's um, it's a lot shallower and a lot wider than it should be. So what happens for you know fizzy drinks or any other drinks is they warm up or they go flat a lot faster than they should because there's a lot more surface area. So coupe for me is a is like a good substitute for a Nicanora. Um, a Nick and Nora, if you don't know, is named after the two main characters from uh, first it was a play and then it became a, a popular movie um, back in the 30s called The Thin Man. And in it, um, the two main characters are a married couple named Nick and Nora. She's like an heiress and he's like a retired murder detective who uh, is like a kept man. Pretty progressive in mm -hmm. the 1930s. So she's the breadwinner and he's the kept man. Uh, and every once in a while, he'll consult with the uh, with the police department on murders. Um, really interesting I, and hilarious. It's a comedy. Um, there's like two or three there's movies. There's seven of them, actually. Um, but uh, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> yeah. there's seven. Okay. Uh, it was the, it was the Fast and Furious of its day. I, I was going to say it was the... Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> the Game of Thrones. The Rock the makes it. House of Dragons. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway... Yeah. 
but uh, in it, they drink heavily uh, and often, right? All the time. And there's a couple of famous scenes uh, in them. There's this one where uh, where Nora, she's been at the bar waiting for Nick for a long time. And she has five empty, what look like coupe glasses, but what they really are is Nick and Nora glasses. Now, back in the day, the actors that played Nick and Nora, they were like the Brad and Angelina of their time, highly influential. Um, so everybody wanted these glasses, and that's why it's called a Nick and Nora. Um, unbeknownst to them, though, it made the perfect cocktail glass for and the shape for anything stirred. So stirred means, you know, usually higher alcohol content, uh, no citrus, no egg white, no cream, right? It's just something that's stirred and then poured into a glass. Um, and the reason why it's the perfect shape is because that inward curve forces you to tilt your head backwards when you're drinking out of it, delivering the higher proof alcohol to your mid palate instead of the tip of your tongue, like I mentioned earlier. So things like martinis and Manhattans and all the many variants of those drinks taste a lot smoother out of a glass like that than, let's say, a martini glass uh, would. Because a martini glass, it flares out, so it hits the tip of your tongue. And so you're like, whoo, this martini is very strong, when maybe it's not. Maybe it's just being delivered to the wrong part of your tongue. That's amazing. That answers that's, your question. That's great. I mean, like, yeah. and, well, okay, here's another part of it, too. Um You'd mentioned that the coops, a lot of them, especially some modern coops out there, they're really elegant and they're like really wide and flat. Um, but think of it in the same way as you would think about ice, right? So you're like your ice cube, and it's, I, you know what? Okay, I, while we're talking about this, I hate the um, like the the added little uh, what do you call it the uh, the little carafe on the side with the other half of your martini. Um, Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the like, the like. Hey, we couldn't fit your whole milkshake into here, so here's the like the yeah, tin, yeah, the icy tin that we made it in. And, you know, enjoy slopping out of that, buddy. Well, yeah. it's like whenever like you get a martini or any drink that's like served with a the dividend. I think is what Julie Reiner calls it, um, or even glass of wine. Like if I'm drinking a white wine and it comes with a little carafe on, like a demi carafe on the side. I'm like, put the whole fucking thing in there because it's just going to get warmer faster. If, if you concentrate the temperature around each other, like the, the, the all the liquid in one place together, just like you would with like uh, an ice mold, like when, like an ice ball, for instance, you know, which I also have opinions on. But the thing is, <laughs> it's the perfect shape to keep the ice cold longer and keeps, keeps it from melting which again, that's a whole other episode. But I feel like the Nick and Nora compacts the drink together in in more of an you know a, a centralized area. Yes, and so it, it then yes, there's less surface area in contact with the yeah. glass that emanates or or transfers heat from the outside air into right. the drink, thus warming it up. Yeah, and, I agree. Okay, with you. so I like thank you again <laughs> for that, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but while we're talking about glassware uh, and just uh, on the subject of these dividends and stemware, what's your take on, I mean, I know it's not really a cocktail specific glass, but like a stemless wine glass. Gross. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, for, for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm part Italian and I grew up with a, a very Italian grandfather. Well, wine served with food and dinner. And, you know, if you're doing food right, you're getting stuff on your fingers, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, and the last thing I want is greasy fingerprints all over my my wine glass. Uh, but also, I you know, temperature is very important when it comes to wine glasses. Uh, same thing with cocktails, right? We're, we're always fighting 
three things with co- when making cocktails for other people. It's pretty much dilution, temperature, um, and service time. Those are the things that we're constantly trying to fight and balance. With wine, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, you know, a red wine is a lot of times better, you know, chilled down a little bit. Um, white wine, we always chill it down, except for in some very uh, niche cases. If you're using, and my hands are hot, I don't know about yours, but I run like, I'm a very warm boy. Um, <laughs> and so if I, if I have my big mitts wrapped around a wine glass, it's gonna turn into my body temperature. So I don't know about you, but I don't wanna drink lukewarm wine oh, yeah. all the time. I mean, it's just gross. I want summer temperature. Yeah, there's the 20 right? minute rule, is what I've always heard. So if you don't have a wine fridge and you've got your white wine in your, your, standard refrigerator you're supposed to take it out 20 minutes before you serve it because it'll bring the temperature up a little bit Mm -hmm. and then vice versa with red wine put it in the refrigerator for 20 minutes before you serve it because it brings the temperature down to a perfect Mm -hmm. uh, serving temp right yeah it's 64 degrees right you want it right around between 62 and 64 degrees in my opinion for a red wine um, and a white wine a little bit chillier than that but yeah uh, Yeah. absolutely absolutely so yeah stemless is cool looking but again when we're talking about design you know actual like worthwhile lasting uh stand the test of time design you have to bring in form and function that's why the germans really know what they're doing it's always form and function so if it doesn't have the function i'm not interested and one more um so (laughs) i want to i kind of want to just touch back on the the rocks glass versus so like we had um, a little while back, we had Lacey Hawkins on the show and she was talking about, she also moved upstate New York and, uh, you know, she's the brand ambassador for monkey 47 gin. And we got on the subject of a martini. Not anymore. Oh, she's, she's not, she is, she's works with Diageo now. She's uh she's the, uh, cultural ambassador for oh, that's right, that's Walker right. now. Well, when she was on the show, she was still with monkey yeah. 47. Uh, but there what we were talking about was the the martini being served up or on the rocks. And she made some really great arguments for serving a martini on the rocks. One, she said that mm. now that she's living upstate, she would make uh, a giant martini in like a mason jar. She said she could put a lid on it, take it with her wherever she goes. Um, also, the fact that there's nothing worse than a warm martini, right? Um, mm-hmm. no. So it Just like a warm yeah, beer. Exactly. Sorry. So, I mean, do you have any opinions on... Serving these classic cocktails like a Manhattan and a martini uh, on ice. So uh, one of the things I learned about being an asshole mixologist <laughs> in my past uh, is it's not about the drink. It's about how someone chooses to enjoy it and if they're having a good time doing it. Right. Um, but there's some caveats to that. If you're going to do it one way or the other, I, there's some suggestions I have. I like both ways, uh, for different reasons, right? There's an elegance to having a stirred drink served up. There's also a lifespan on Mm -hmm. that. I feel, um, that's, that's shorter than on the rocks. Um, uh, if you have them on the rocks, uh, you can, you can choose how booze you have it by, you know, drinking it faster or slower, having it even colder than stirred, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, when I'm doing batching for something that's served up and it's already in my freezer and my refrigerator, I add my dilution to it at, at 20%, right. right? 20% dilution to a martini in the fridge that stays in my mason jar. Uh, I'll serve that up. But if I don't do any dilution and I can serve it over the rocks, then I'm relying on that 20% dilution from the ice uh, to balance out the drink. I don't know if you've ever tried, people who are listening, uh, a cocktail that's not diluted. Like a Negroni, just straight, no dilution. 
good luck <laughs> enjoying that puppy. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, for me, it's a mood thing and it's also who you're hanging out with, what the situation is. Just do those technical things, right? First, to make sure that it's the best experience possible. If you choose out on the rocks, awesome. Just make sure you don't dilute it first because that ice is going to be melting and adding water. And by the time you get to the bottom of the glass, it's going to taste like martini flavored water. Right. Nobody wants that. I, I kind of do. <laughs> um, but if you're serving it up, make sure that, you know, it has the dilution yeah. in there. Cool. Okay. Sure. One last one last drink where ice combo question. What's your opinion on, it was kind of trending, uh, it's been trending still uh, over the past few years, but up with an ice cube. Hate it. Stupid. <laughs> yeah. Dumb. It's so, so dumb. dumb. It's Instagram. So, so there's there's this whole thing that we call Instagram drinks, right? right? In, in in my little circle, and probably you do too, where they're really cool looking, but then have you ever tried to drink out of that glass with that stupid ice ball or ice cube sticking out of your coupe or it's your Nick and so Nora or your sour glass? And also, it, it's, it's dumb. I've it's seen dumb. more glassware. Like, if it's not from, as you'd mentioned before, about. Uh, heat variation and micro abrasions uh, in the glassware. Mm -hmm. That's what I've seen mostly breaking cocktail glasses is, you know, trying. Of course. They're not, they're not designed to have yeah. ice in it. Thank yeah. you. You know what? This has been the best episode ever yeah. because he's agreed with everything <laughs> I've said. Um. <laughs> uh, I do have something to say about the sidecar, the, uh, the, the little carafe on the Ooh, side. Okay. If I may. If I may, I agree. If someone's just giving you a carafe right. not on ice on the side, oof. But for the same reason you said that nobody likes a warm martini, it's the same reason why I don't order large beers. Because by the time I get to the bottom third of it, it's going to be warm and gross, and I'm not going to want it, right? So when I'm bartending, I'm in sales, whether I want to admit are. it or not. Yeah. I'm trying to get someone to buy that next drink. If every if I'm a good bartender, I'm asking someone if they want another drink in that that the last couple of sips that are in the glass right uh and if i'm a really good salesperson i'm going to make sure that i design my drinks to taste the best at the end right. not the beginning so therefore when i do ask them if they would like another they have the best version of the drink freshly on their lips in that moment and so they're more apt to say yes so for a martini the same thing these some of these glasses can be pretty large um and uh, I don't think that when you get to the bottom of a martini, it's always the optimal temperature, right? Especially if you're in a conversation with someone, it sits there on the table for a little bit too long. And now you've got a tepid martini. Gross. I'm definitely not buying another one. If somebody serves me a little, a, a smaller Nick and Nora that's chilled, half of it goes in the chilled Nick and Nora and the half goes into like a little carafe that's on crushed ice that keeps it nice and cold without diluting it. And I get to top it off halfway through. I'm a happy camper. Oh, and chill my olives. For God's sake, chill my yes. olives, please. Nothing like getting a, war a lukewarm olive put into a chilled cocktail to really bring that temperature up. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's my take right there. That's my hot take. <laughs> nice. Well, this has been awesome. I yeah. like. Greg, I don't know. I, I'm. I was when I saw that this episode was coming up. I was really psyched about it because it's something that obviously we've just agonized over for a very long time, and it's so cool to have the options uh, of this awesome, very specific glassware for these cocktails, cocktail specific glassware. No, I, I love it. And it's the exact mm. same things that we were talking about, about, you know, when you make these drinks at home or like at a bar and the cold draft cubes, like they don't fit two to the bottom of your glass. And it's like, uh, it's, it's all things 
that I think everyone in our industry has just been annoyed with for like fucking years. And yet mm. no one up until now has been like, maybe there's a better way to do this. You know, we all just kind of accept it. It's like, well, it sucks, but that's the way it is. But I'm glad that it's not the way it is anymore. So thank you, Zane. Yeah, of course. And while we're on the subject of home bartenders, uh, the pandemic really shot home bartender uh, knowledge through the roof. I don't know if you're noticing this in your bars or not, but people are coming back into the wild with a lot more knowledge than they had before. Like Spagliatos. Um, and <laughs> exactly like Spagliatos. That's an obscure drink. Whether we want to admit it or not, that's a pretty obscure drink, even for Negroni fans. Um and so it's it's nice to be able to offer this to the home mixologist as well, because I want them to be able to use the right glassware because that gets them excited to come into our bars and, you know, try out new things to pick up those books that all of our friends write um, and uh, actually start working their way through the recipes. And that's that's an exciting thing to me because, you know, we put a lot of time, effort and love into this and giving them the right vessel to make it at home is important. Oh, yeah. Me. And and having people come in that you don't have to, you know, you're, that you're not starting from square one or that maybe even, you know, oof, brass ring scenario, share some of my same annoyances that I have with things that happen behind the bar, like glassware mm. that doesn't work or, you know, ice yeah. cubes in coupe glasses like, oh, it's it's been it's been nice. So if people wanted to find out more about you and the glassware designing and all of your many, many endeavors, where can they get in touch with you and follow what you're up to? A couple different ways, actually. Uh, Real.com has stuff on the actual glassware itself. Uh, for me, I'm on social media, Zane Harris on everything. So you can reach out if you guys have any questions. I love talking about this stuff. We, we just kind of scratched the surface of the functionality. Right. There's a lot more to it. Like there's built in measurements in the design on oh, the outside cool. of the glass. I don't know if you knew that Ooh. or not. Very cool. Uh, there's a two ounce pour line that, you know, that the guest can't see, for example, but the bartender or the bar owner or the manager definitely knows if somebody's hitting that two ounce pour line or not. Um, you know, so if you want to learn out more about that kind of stuff, feel free to reach out. Um, also, I'm in New York all the time. I'm at every event, uh, BCB, um, you know, Tales of the Cocktail all over the place. So I'm not hard to find. <laughs> that's for sure. Cool. Well, for thanks sure. for taking the time to chat with us today. This has been very enlightening and also obviously very entertaining. Uh, again, thanks for agreeing with all my uh, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of made it. You kind of made yeah. it easy, right? Uh, you agreed yeah, with right. me, so hey, thank you. Cool. All right, yeah. thanks a lot, Zane. That's that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Uh, check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one. Uh, until next week, everyone. Cheers. 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 So you don't shun the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. <laughs>